Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson. We are the Last Nighters. You can find us at lastnighters.com and also at the YouTube uh, for the Liberty Movement, you, Liberty Movement's YouTube channel. That's right. Anyway, you can find the show notes more for this episode of John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness at lastnighters.com slash 201. And returning to the show for the umpteenth time, it's at least the third, maybe the fourth time, is Prof. CJ of the Dangerous History Podcast. He was last on uh, just in July, which doesn't seem all that long ago. But uh, welcome back, Prof. CJ. Why don't you just remind people what you do and where they can find it, and uh, we'll get underway. Yeah, sure thing. My show is the Dangerous History Podcast, and it is a history podcast done by a guy whose main influences uh, intellectually would be Rothbard, Spooner, John Carpenter, and George Carlin. So if that sounds like the version of history you'd like to hear, then check out my show, DangerousHistoryPodcast.com. Wherever you consume your podcast, it's there too. Right. And and it's for all of your Wilson hating needs and more than you ever want to know. Hard at work at the latest on the latest Wilson episode. I think I'm on part nine, if I remember right, of Woodrow Wilson. And we're only getting into his second year in the White House. So there's still much more um, horrific things to come. Yeah. Now, are you finding that it uh, this level of deep diving and only getting to the second year at this point, um, are you finding that this project is resonating and getting traction like are, are you compelled to continue is it doing well for you and are you enjoying it yeah honestly i wouldn't i'd be tempted to um throw in the towel because it is a huge uh, undertaking it is comparable in terms of the amount of time and effort and research and everything to my civil war series from a few years back and um by the time i'm done it might even be worse than the civil war as far as far as how much work i'm putting into it but what really keeps me going are the listeners because the listeners love it. Uh, the Wilson series has been really popular and getting lots of downloads. And, you know, I'm constantly getting feedback from my listeners through uh, email and social media, occasionally meeting people in person. Like uh, I was at the Tom Woods 2000 episode thing. What was it last nice. weekend or the weekend before recently? So yeah, met, met some listeners there in person and all that. And everybody loves to hate Wilson. So I'm yeah. there to provide all the material so that you realize that like you only think you hate Wilson. You think, oh, yeah, Federal Reserve, income tax, World War One, boom, he sucks. It's like, yeah, but there's 10,000 more reasons, large and small, to hate this guy beyond just those that everybody knows. So there's market demand for Wilson hate. So that's good that you're there to fill that demand. Everybody like loves to hate Wilson. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you're, you're going to have uh, so much material. I mean, probably you could do books or whatever out of it. Uh, so that's that's really impressive. And encouraging that, that you are getting traction with with something so niche because I, I haven't um, consumed much of it, but you know I'm more of the what you just described like oh the three or four really bad things he did makes me think he's the worst president of all time, but really he's like the linchpin for the the state we're in now. Yeah, and in all my research, I dug up all kinds of things that I didn't even know about before uh, reasons to hate him. Like you know he was. Um, a supporter of eugenics. When he was governor of New Jersey, he signed a eugenics bill into law there that was written by a guy who later shows up working for the Nazis um, many years later. So, that, I mean, who knows that, right? Um, Gosh, been around that long? Yeah, really. And uh, just another one I, I found out about recently, Wilson is responsible for giving a very young J. Edgar Hoover his first few major promotions in the Justice Department that put mm -hmm. J. Edgar Hoover on the fast track to then 
you know, a few years later in the 1920s, becoming head of the Federal Bureau of, of Investigation. So there's one more thing you can throw on Woodrow Wilson. Um, also, by the way, the first major war on drugs law in American history passed under Wilson, the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914. Oh, wow. Okay. So all roads lead to Rome and all reasons to hate the state lead to Wilson. At, le at least if you're an American anyway. Um, and, and really, let's be fair, if you're a European or a Russian, you know, a lot of his stuff had bad, uh, bad side effects for you too. Right. And, and I think that the, uh, the foreign policy getting uh, projected out into the world was really a Wilsonian thing. And Wilson, he was one of these like elite intellectual types, right? At least he thought of himself as one of these intellectual types. And yeah, well, I mean, he, he uh, is the only American president still to this day who held a PhD. And before he got into politics, he taught for many years at Princeton uh, and a number of other universities and then was president of Princeton University for about a decade. So, I mean, he really was, you know, um, part of the, the academic establishment. And he thought he was the, on a mission from God. Absolutely. The technocracy that's everybody so in love with. If we could just get the smart people in charge, everything would be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, speaking of the smart people, let's get into uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Now, this is the second film in the Apocalypse series. The first one being one of Robert's favorite movies, The Thing, and the third being Mouth of Madness. And uh, that was another one that was up for bid with you, uh, CJ. And so perhaps we can do that one in the, in the future. I've heard really good things about that one. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but, uh, apparently some of the it's, it's related to a book that is like pivotal to the story. And some of the narration of that book is used in popular culture and in music, uh, in a lot of songs and, and things. So that might be kind of fun to like see where those things have come from, but, uh, how we start off the old Google description. So Prince of Darkness, 1987 rated R, horror slash supernatural film one hour 42 minutes it is available for free on peacock which is uh kind of why we picked it um between the two mouth of madness was the other option uh 6.7 out of 10 on imdb 58 percent Rotten tomatoes 50 percent on metacritic and 86 percent of google users like it the description is thus poking around in a church cellar a priest played by donald pleasance finds an otherworldly vial filled with slime Frightened, he brings his discovery to a circle of top scholars and scientists who eventually learn that the strange liquid is the essence of Satan. The slime then begins to seep out, turning some of the academics into zombified killers. As the possessed battle the survivors, student Kelly, played by Susan Blanchard, is infected by a large quantity of the liquid and becomes Satan personified. Release date of October 23rd, 1987, directed by John Carpenter. Music by John Carpenter, written by John Carpenter, uh, under the uh, pseudonym of Martin Quartermass, which... I guess is a nod to um, uh, one of his favorite stories or writers. And uh, this is a pretty fun movie. It has a lot of the same uh, folks who were in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, which was kind of fun to see those guys. So, Robert, your opening bid for Prince of Darkness. Is there better evidence that Google users' reviews are completely useless? They are just a bunch of clapping seals. This is... This I don't understand how this movie has anything to do with the thing, which is uh, a near masterpiece. This movie, I, I don't understand how John Carpenter is involved. Um, I, the thing is about an extraterrestrial entity that crash lands on Earth and comes into contact with some Antarctic researchers. This movie is about some scientists who are studying some green ooze and get peed on 
and then end up killing some people and then there's bad guys sort of and somebody gets turned into some bugs and uh, a bunch of nonsense uh the acting is atrocious i i don't understand the I, if they were just getting people fresh off the bus like hey you want to be in a movies kid just grab them off the street it's that level of fantastic there is the one main guy that's from big chum little china who plays the, like the lead scientist guy uh he's always fun but i wouldn't call him a good actor he's a good character actor um and, and in this movie he's playing kind of a straight scientist dude when in reality you want to use him as a fun wacky asian character guy um the rest of it is so bad it i i lost interest probably about 30 minutes in and i never got my interest back i i think john carpenter was either high on cocaine or drunk on a bender when he was writing and directing this uh, i don't understand how he watched the final cut and said, this is it. This is this is my movie. This is fantastic. This is what we're going with. Unless they just had like 20 grand and they're like, well, I'm out of money and I'm not going to put any more money into this turd. So here you go. I don't see how this is in any way related to the thing. I, I Obviously, the Mouth of Madness, I haven't seen that thing. Uh, may, I'm, it's got to be better than this. Um, yeah, I... I I struggle to see any merit in this film. So I I am going to lay this one at the feet of our guest and yourself, Daniel. You said it was a fun film, which I don't understand. There's an extended sequence by one of the characters where he is just trapped inside of a wall in a crawl space. And they're just trying to like dig him out with like a like a stick. Uh, well, uh, anyway. Anyway, go ahead. This, that's all I got. This all right. I, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about this thing because uh, anyway, go ahead. I am shocked. I am shocked you don't like this movie. And, really? Uh, it's so really good. like, if you look at the thing, it's basically Prince of yeah. Darkness on ice. No, get out of here. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Shut your whore mouth. That is such a lie. Uh, this is Carpenter. This is very Carpenter-esque. Um, it's, he's bringing the question of religion and science together matter and antimatter and he's, he's bringing these philosophical uh questions to bear on what is going to be the destruction of, of humanity and i thought that it was pretty well done i mean it i i did get a little bit lost in who was who and there's not a whole lot of character development for anyone other than the first you know main two or three characters uh so that gets a little little messy but overall uh, i thought the premise was really great and uh, it, it does have like that eerie feel. And uh, I think Carpenter has a pretty, pretty decent movie on his hands here. Uh, Prof. CJ. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold the fuck on. What was the point of the At first? I thought it was cool when they were dreaming and they were shown this fuzzy image of the front of the church. And there's like a creepy dude standing there. At first, I was like, oh, cool. Somebody from the future is like tele giving them these, these characters important information. And that they're going to use this information to defeat the, the bad guy at the end. Is that what happened? All right. That might have been a missed opportunity. Was there any point to that at all? Uh, narratively, yes. But not, not for like a closing of a loop within the story. What was the point of the people sending the information back? 
What was the information that they got sent? It, it was a warning from the future of an apocalypse in the future. Um, if they, you know, failed to, to prevent the dark evil anti-God or whatever from, from uh, coming through to earth to our dimension or whatever. You got to stop the, the green ooze from peeing on people. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Otherwise, well, we'll I don't want to get peed on by it, but okay. Maybe I got gotcha. you. Brings a whole new definition to a wet market. <sighs> okay. So I, I I also drew um, analogies to present day. You know, I considered the basement of this church to be a lab of sorts, and they were dealing with forces that they did not understand, and it got out of hand, and uh, ended up being a potential risk for all of humanity. And it started driving the homeless folks. Uh, crazy. They became NBC NPC type zombies bent on um, menacing those who were were trying to stop this thing and even murdering a few of them. And I thought that was very similar to uh, what you might call um, NPCs who like masks or jabs and things like that, doing social pressure to try to force people to do things that uh, they wouldn't otherwise choose to do on their own. And hence we have mandates and other um, unconstitutional and illegal things that should be ignored. Can I reach and grab you anything, Daniel? You appear to be reaching for something. I, I just need to grab something for you if you need it. No, I, I think I reached it. I think I reached it. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so Robert doesn't like this film. So, Prof. CJ, what's your rebuttal? Okay. Now, I will say right off the bat, this is not my favorite Carpenter film, and I will admit that it objectively is not one of his best films. But, Personally, I would put it probably in my top five or six Carpenter films, and I and I think it's generally underrated. Um, so, what I would say are the, the reasons I, I like this film. Uh, first off, I think it's a masterpiece of just creating a very ominous mood, like right at the opening credits, and then gradually ratcheting up the tension and the eeriness over the course of the movie. Um, it starts off as a pretty slow-paced movie until maybe the last third or quarter or so. Uh, and I actually kind of like that. I, I, I actually like horror movies that are slower uh, build as long as it's done well. And I think this one's actually done pretty well. Um, I like the concept. I, I agree with Daniel on that, that the concept is cool. The whole idea of the Apocalypse Trilogy, that's something Carpenter has said in interviews and things. I've always thought that was kind of, kind of I, I don't even know, sort of loose. It's basically just, oh, these are three movies that all in different ways deal with like an evil force coming to Earth to destroy it or whatever. Um, but, you know, I never took that literally as like, these are actually like sequel movies to each other because they're clearly not in, in each of them. The evil is a bit different in each of them. All the characters are totally different. The setting is totally different. So, you know, I, I just think that's the wrong way to think about it is to take it too literally as if this is like, you know, a star Wars trilogy or something like that. Um, more just that they're thematically related. Um, I would say that it is a, uh, it's one of my favorite Carpenter soundtracks too, by the way, I think both the movie and the soundtrack are masterpieces of minimalism. I, I think maybe the only Carpenter movie that does, that does even better in terms of minimalism is Halloween itself. Um, but th this one, you know, it's on a pretty low budget. It was just a few million dollars. Um, there's only a handful of, uh, of, of settings. And I also would say, I think it does a very good job um, when it's gradually building the tension of also simultaneously closing in the the characters, the protagonists, 
where they're it like physically is getting closer and closer and more and more claustrophobic, which is another thing that also Halloween does pretty well. Um, so I, I like that the feeling of, you know, initially they can kind of walk outside the church a little bit, but then as the homeless people and things start to, to happen, you know, eventually they get to where they can't even really go out the door or the window. Um, some of those scenes I thought have good tension where like the one guy lowers down and the homeless people close in on them and they pull them back in. Like a lot of those scenes, I think do a good job of doing tension with relatively few, you know, things and people. Um, I would absolutely agree that most of the actors in this movie are not good. Um, Donald Pleasance is good. I like Victor Wong. I always like Victor Wong. He's the old Chinese guy from Big Trouble in Little China. I like him in this too, even though it's not as, you know, he was the old Chinese guy in Tremors. He was the old Chinese guy in Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, he was in uh, Three Ninjas, which I haven't seen since I was like 11, uh, but I loved it at age 11. I'm sure it would be terrible now. But um, I always like Victor Wong and I like him in this too, even though it's more of a, of a serious role for him. But, you know, other than Donald Pleasance and, and uh, Victor Wong, um, Jameson Parker, who's Brian Marsh, I think is a competent actor. He's, he's the guy who was also in The Fog. Um, you know, I don't think he's a great actor, but I think he's, I think he's decent. I think he's good enough. Uh, the rest of the actors in the movie are mostly, mostly crap. I'll, I'll agree to that. Um, the dialogue. I, I like the script other than the dialogue. I think if you could improve the dialogue, you'd have an excellent, if you could improve the, the two things I would fix in this movie, they would make it a near perfect low budget eighties horror flick. Cause that's what this is. And that's what I'm judging it as the two things I would fix to make this a near perfect low budget eighties horror flick are the dialogue and replace most of the actors. Thank you. But yes, I, I think I, those are the only two things that I think are, are really major problems. I think the premise is good. You know, everything else about the movie technically I think is good. And again, you know, I'm judging it for what it is, which is a pretty low budget eighties horror movie. And is as there... a pretty, as a low budget eighties horror movie, I think it's head and shoulders above most of all the rest of the low budget eighties horror movies. Well, was it, what was the budget of the thing? Because this, is there a reason why this movie looks way worse than the thing? The, the thing was big budget. I believe. Was it? Yeah. 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 Didn't Carpenter say that, uh, that gave him a, a, a distaste for working with studios again. So he started going more independent. Yeah. 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 What happened, what happened was the thing, you know, became a cult classic and loved and well-reviewed later when it first came out, I think it was reviewed mostly pretty badly. And it was a, it was, uh, um, you know, it lost money, I believe, at the box or barely broke even. I forget which. Um, well, it didn't get it, widespread appeal because of the the, the gross out horror type elements, the, the body horror and that kind of thing. I thought yeah, that was what turned off most people. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. According to Wikipedia, the thing's budget was 15 mil and the box office was 19.6 mil. So, you know, it made a slight profit, but apparently the studios were not happy with that. Whereas Prince of Darkness is $3 million budget. So okay. the thing had five times the budget. So yeah, it's, it's okay. a different, it's a different thing. Pun intended. Well, I, this movie looks so bad. It, the props are terrible. The, the lighting is, is very, very flat. All the characters look like they're on some eighties sitcom. Like it's facts of life. I, <laughs> they're just all lit so poorly that there was, it was impossible for me to, you know, a lot of times when you watch a good horror movie, it's what you don't see that scares you. And I like the fact that this movie ratchets up the tension slowly. If you were into the movie, you would be along for this, right? I suppose, but there's only a few scenes really where they're going to hide the, the low budget. You need to hide the low budget in the darkness, buddy. You need to turn off the lights. You got to get the lighting going down and have it be a little bit more dramatic. I mean, you're in this kind of apocalyptic scenario. How some of the lights go out? Uh, the, 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 the guy that gets turned into a bug or a bunch of bugs. Um, at least they have one scene where he's out at night 
and you don't get to see all the terrible makeup. But when the lady turns into Satan or whatever, the makeup looks so terrible. And all the, like, all the, all anything they're trying to do, the only thing that looks good in the entire film is the, the big vial of ooze. And it's because of the lighting. The lighting looks good going through that green liquid of some kind. But everything else is just atrocious. And I understand you got a low budget, but lighting isn't super expensive. I mean, maybe your, your director of photography or whoever's working on the lighting was their first day or something. I don't know. But, uh, man, <laughs> it, it, this, this looks, on, it uh, looks really bad. Like the prop master on the Alec, Alec uh, Baldwin movie? Yeah, maybe. Probably. First Same guy. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. I mean, CJ's right. The the dialogue is atrocious, and it's said by actors who are atrocious. Um, rewrite the dialogue. The premise is pretty cool. Like I agree with you guys on the premise. Like some scientists start dealing with some unknown shit that they don't know how to deal with, so they're trying to quantify it in ones and zeros and things like that. But the the priest is the one that actually knows what's going on for the most part. And he knows how to deal with this situation, whereas these nerds are just don't believe it or whatever. I kind of that's kind of fun to play with, like belief versus disbelief. And do you actually see what's happening in front of your face? That kind of thing. So are you, are you saying you would rather have the priest know more of what's going on? Because in the movie, the priest is almost as clueless as everybody else. Like he he just found out about this secret thing in the basement and this, you know, secret order you know where at the beginning the old priest dies who had been the 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 guardian or whatever um, oh that's a different character <laughs> okay i thought there was just the one priest guy i guess there's two priest guys well the the very opening is is one priest dying right? yeah it's like it's like in the first minute of the credits or something um, oh i must have missed that and, part did he die then, how did he die did the, did the thing pee on him no did he pee in he his just, mouth? i think it was natural causes he was really old he was older than oh. donald pleasance but he's holding the box and then and then Pleasance gets the box and goes to the church and opens up and, and all of that's like super creepy. And you're like, you're not sure what's going on. And and they're cutting that between the university and the church and back and forth. And this is the merging of science and religion into this um, single narrative. Right. And, and, and it also even brings in the alien Jesus stuff, like ancient alien ancient alien technology the guy with the wild hair I, I i was i could see him like trying to explain some of these things in you know in my head you know an, another thing i really liked about this movie is i like the setting overall the main setting of this dilapidated church in a dilapidated sort of la slum uh for some reason the i think carpenter does really well when he's dealing with sort of like urban decay sort of settings like you know think of escape from new york think of um uh, what do you call it? Shoot. Uh, even in they live. They live. Yeah. It's having a old man up past his bedtime. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brain malfunction. Yeah. They live. That's what I was looking for. Um, and that's what, that's one of my top two or three favorite Carpenter films. So I'm ashamed that I couldn't think of the name, but yeah, I think he, he does very well with that. as just sort of like a background, you know, just, just a very kind of simple, sparse urban decay background. And I don't know, there's something with this movie that I, I just always like the just juxtaposition that like you've got this ancient evil that's been around forever and that the, you know, the secret order of the church has been, you know, hiding and containing for centuries and millennia and whatever. And that it's in the basement of an old semi-abandoned church in like a dilapidated part of LA. And then when you add in 
the the creepy homeless people. That's another part of this movie I like is the the creepy homeless people that basically you know sort of function like like uh, zombies or something. Um, I don't know th- th- those scenes. LA. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and those those scenes, I don't know. They always they always creep me out. Now, was that just like the the ooze was becoming more powerful, starting to project its energy, and so anyone who was of a weaker, I don't know, constitution within proximity to it would turn into this kind of zombie thing? Or were we to believe that the whole world was being affected by this thing and it's just these scientists who are slowly one by one kind of falling to it? I, I think the the thing with the homeless people is that they're, you know, probably all either mentally ill or really addicted to something or both. And so, yeah, kind of the first thing you said that they're they're a little bit more vulnerable to the influence of the evil power. And so they sort of get, you know, possessed by it first. And then, you know, it has to actually, you know, piss in the mouth or whatever uh, to get people who are a little bit more together and with it and not so mentally ill uh, to be, you know, influenced by it. But, you know, I got to say, too, another thing I like about this movie is that a lot of it is left kind of ambiguous. And I kind of like having horror movies where not everything is, you know, explained eventually in some exposition scene or whatever. I I like the fact that so much of what goes on in this isn't really explained. And I don't know. I've just always liked horror movies and books that do that. This is why I like The Shining and and why Robert hates it. Speaking of The Shining, it seemed to me that Carpenter was cribbing off of better movies when he made this movie. I mean, he had some extended scenes where somebody is writing, translating out some text and then goes crazy and then just starts typing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And then... uh, God, what was the other movie? Oh, The Thing, where he's cribbing off his own work, where some of the characters are not what they appear to be. They seem to be totally fine on the surface and normal, but then they're actually secretly like Satan's minions or whatever. Right, but, that's why I was saying Prince of Darkness on Ice, The Thing. Yeah, but this this does not deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as The Thing, which is essentially a masterpiece, whereas this is like the leftover ideas that... Uh, it's okay. It's not so much the ideas. It's the execution that is so poor that I have a big, huge problem with it. Maybe if you, you remake this with a, a, a larger budget, competent acting uh, direction, script, everything. And maybe you can make something good out of this, but you know, yeah. Did you guys feel like there was this building tension and suspense and it was a no. bit of a slow burn, but did you feel like, what was the threat? Like, I was kind of missing what is the threat? Like, the ooze is sort of becoming more activated or whatever, and it's like spraying on people. Um, but it didn't seem to have, I don't know, like a sense of purpose or a sense of danger related to it, like it was trying to accomplish something until the very end, you know, and then you see that birthing process of some parademon that's going to then go to the mirror and pull in the big badass demon from another dimension. Yeah, I, I think what one of the things that kind of unites the Apocalypse trilogy is that they're all kind of Lovecraftian. They're they're all like taking a lot of H.P. Lovecraft concepts and themes and whatever and, you know, dumping them into a modern setting. And so I think that part of what's going on is that, um, you know, a lot of it is being left ambiguous in some ways like Lovecraft would do. But I always interpret it as there's this lesser evil that is represented by the ooze and then by the people that the ooze possesses. And that lesser evil is like a gopher for the bigger evil 
that's still on the other side in the other dimension or whatever. And so the lesser evil is trying to prepare the way to ultimately bring uh, the big evil, you know, through the portal or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this is the gain of function that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take the common cold and, and turn it into, you know, we all know. Mm. Yeah. The unknown virus of unspecified origin. I, I know nothing. Uh, the other thing I, I really could have appreciated more would have been like getting to know the particular characters, why they're relevant, what, what their specialization was, why they're there, and have that somehow play a role into what happens to them. Yes. They were so faceless. They were nothing characters. They were cardboard cutouts that had no reason or purpose of being there other than they were just generic scientist people people yeah they're, they're the red shirts beaming down with the away team yeah there was even like a romance between two of them that i didn't buy for a second and then there was a makeout session at the end that was completely unearned but whatever i mean who cares well, for, for whatever reason it seems like john carpenter thinks that jameson parker must be like the most sexy man alive because doesn't he also like with almost no effort, seduce Jamie Lee Curtis in the fog. And then, you know, he seduces this redhead with like really awkward lines and whatever. And this is like Carpenter must just think this guy is, is, you know, a sex machine or some, something. That initial, that initial dialogue between those two on the bench. I thought it was like coming off as real rapey. And then she was like, I need to leave. And then he's like, Oh, just let's just, just, just start over. And I thought that that was going to be the end of their romance, but apparently that wasn't enough. That was like, that was like just the, play they're like totally uh, gonna get it on yeah that, he's got some nuclear pheromones or something <laughs> so you read that as rapey i i, I might need to rewatch just that portion because to me it seemed kind of woke like she was getting offended at a joke and um maybe was going a little bit too far in her being offended yeah i mean i i interpreted it as he was trying to be kind of like in jest or sarcastic or whatever, like not, you know, being literal, but she was taking it literally. And that's why he then kind of did the reset and got serious. That's, I don't know. That's how I interpret it. Yeah. And I then, felt he was just being like macho asshole rapey guy. And she was justifiably going, I don't need any of this right now. I can leave. See ya. Okay. Uh, why she gave him a second shot. I don't know, but well, I she seemed to have been dating that other guy. And maybe that's why he felt he needed to be, you know, more macho. -y. Maybe. I don't know. Is that, is that, is that romance in the eighties? I don't remember romance being that poorly written. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. In, in a lot of eighties horror movies, I think it is. Okay. Especially with, fair, a, with, fair with enough. a low budget. Fair enough. Have you seen Friday the 13th movies? Yeah, but at least those are teenagers and you're just like, well, they're horny teenagers. You don't need to actually have dialogue. They're just going to go off in the woods and bang. Who cares? Yeah. So this, they play it off like they're smart adults. Like if you're going to have your main characters be scientists, Write them so that they're maybe awkward and nerdy instead of Mr. Rapey asshole guy. I don't know. Yeah. Another minor complaint I have is that. Now, why is he so jacked? Why well, is this nerdy guy so jacked? Well, most of the most of the scientists are actually supposed to be graduate students, and yet they all look like they're about 40. Yeah. You know, which I mean, occasionally there is someone that age who's, you know, working on a graduate degree. But I mean, for the most part, it's usually people like in their 20s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's another criticism of the casting, other than most of them are crappy actors, is, you know, they, they should have been looking for people at, like, 25. Yeah, cast younger, but, well, they couldn't. Yeah, I remember in college, I um, I'd always noticed those 
students who returned like 10 or 15 years later, they always stood out and they were, they were always the ones that were like asking the most annoying questions. Mm. A lot of them though are actually good students, at least in my experience. Probably because they ask the questions and do the readings. Yeah. They ask the questions. Annoying ones that know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Screw they're actually guys. not there just to get high and get laid. What? Not. I know. That's what college is all about. Yeah, so that was sold <laughs> for a very high price, I might add. That's right. It's only 200 grand of, to get laid and get drunk. What? Yeah, it's like fair trade. Three or four times the price now. And it's only been, what, 20 years? Yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, so one other thing that sort of stood out to me was the professor, Egg, from the Triple Little China, he just orders his students to go and sleep at this church and like, do what he doesn't even tell them and so i don't understand i guess from a story aspect you've brought all these scientists together students and, and other people and just told them to bring their gear and just do stuff but not any particular thing they're not looking for anything in particular there's doesn't seem to be any coordinated effort or plan as presented in why they're even there yeah and the audience is equally aware of what the actually happening at least that's what I was when they were saying, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm like, me neither. <laughs> They're there to do sciencey stuff, duh. But they just have a random selection of cardboard cutout characters that don't have any special talents or anything. Like there's no character development like Daniel was saying. Like you don't know, you don't learn anything about any of the characters. So they don't have any kind of an arc or any at all, and they don't have any special abilities that come into play. It would have been nice to see any of that. But. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a tiny, tiny bit like the one lady is a translator or whatever like that. You know, there, there's a few little things here and there. But yeah, Not I mean, for, for for sure, they don't lay out, you know, what all the, the, the one lady, the, the other lady is like a radiologist or something. And I guess she's trying to figure out if the, if the ooze is nuclear and whether or not mm. it might uh, create some Ninja Turtles or whatever. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, that would cool. be a much better movie. Yeah, and then uh, the other especially if was... Vanilla Ice wraps at the end. Yes, thank you. You've already written a way better movie. <laughs> and she carbon dated the thing, right? So it was like um, Prince of Darkness. It was, it was even older than than biblical times, right? It was like what? What? what how old did she say? Like 10, yeah, I forget. I thought something? it was hundreds of thousands or millions or something. Yeah, really old. Okay. All right. Well. Um, have we exhausted this movie already? Oh, you said you had so many notes, Daniel. Come on now. It, it, it's a it's a pretty simple movie, you know. Um, love it or hate it, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I was saying in my uh, messages back and forth with Daniel regarding this one versus in the Mouth of Madness, I said I actually personally like this one better, but there mm -hmm. is more to talk about on In the Mouth of Madness just because it's a more complicated movie. You know, In the Mouth of Madness is better script. Um, and you know, better, uh, more complicated story and, you know, a little bit more character depth and whatever. Um, this movie, I don't know. I, I just always love this one just aesthetically from the standpoint of the minimalism, the tone. I love the soundtrack. I love the slowly ratcheting up tension and, and I love the premise. So I don't know, I guess I just love it for what it is. It's, it's like a, a really simple garage band song or something like that, but it's like mm. a good garage band song. And I don't know, or, or maybe think about it like it's, um, you know, if John Carpenter is one of your favorite bands, it's like this is one of his lesser known bootleg records or whatever. Um, this is the B side that didn't make it to the album. Yeah, yeah. Where, where if you're a real, if you're just a, a Carpenter junkie, it's got so many Carpenter elements in them. You know, maybe not quite as, quite as well executed as in 
the thing or Halloween. Um, you know, it's obviously a totally different movie from big trouble in little China. Cause it doesn't have all that comedy. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've, I've just always, uh, it's been one of my, it's like the cult classic of cult classics in terms of uh, Carpenter's work. It's the niche of the niche. Yeah. And it's still way better than ghosts of Mars, vampires, uh, you know, uh, memoirs of an invisible man, which is hard to believe that's a, actually even a carpenter film. Like to me, this one, this one feels like a carpenter film right off the bat. You know, you got the the music, the font, you know. Kind mm. of thing. Yeah, the music is very iconic. I mean, him doing the music in all his in most of his movies is un unmistakable. Actually, yeah. uh, the vampires though, I remember seeing that in the theater and I felt violated. I thought that was atrocious. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bad one. Ghost of Mars is even worse. Mm. Yeah. Don't don't okay. watch that. So people see those if, if they're completionists and uh, also uh, masochists, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, skip it for Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China. They live those now. Supposedly, ones. Carpenter, he's still working. Like he released the Halloween movie this year, and just now, just recently. He, he didn't. He didn't really do anything on it. He basically um, this Halloween movie and then the one from uh, was it 2017, 2018. Um, he basically just like lets them put his name on it as some sort of executive producer or whatever and like that. And he gets okay. a check. He, he's okay. even in interviews, but set, he's been very cynical in interviews about these Halloween sequels. He's basically like, yeah, I just get paid <laughs> mm. <laughs> to, to let them use it and have his name on it or whatever, but he doesn't really have anything to do with it. Um, he hasn't actually personally directed a movie uh, since the ward, which was like 15 years ago or something like that. All he does these days is music. He's like touring around, uh, you know, he's making albums, those lost theme albums, which are really good. And then um, he like tours around playing live. And I think he's got like his sons are in his band or whatever. And supposedly it's like a fun show to go to or whatever. So he's he's really just sort of had it with Hollywood and movies and whatever. And he's just going around playing music. Good on him. But uh, honestly, I, I would love to see him make one more good movie just because his last few mo- last few movies weren't that good. I just feel like, come on, man, like go out, pull, pull one more, take whatever uh, meth and Adderall and whatever other <laughs> things they're giving Joe Biden, shoot yourself up with that, you know, to the gills and, and miraculously crank out one more movie on like the level of the thing, you know, that would be, that'd be great, but that would know. be great. But yeah, he's, he's 73 years old now. That's, uh, that's yeah, he's, a lot of an old man. He's, he's been a chain smoker his whole life and he's looked like he's 73 years old since about 1979. So mm. I don't know. Then again, he, he might pull a Keith Richards and just keep on keep going forever. Yeah. live for another 20 years. Why not sell your soul? Get that <laughs> adrenochrome. Mm. Yeah, I hear it's uh does wonders for, for wrinkles, smooths out your skin, all that, all that good stuff. Oh, nice. Nice. Where can I get some of that? Is that it's just at the local supplement store? Uh, probably. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, uh, any any final notes before we get into uh, how many nameless, faceless uh, uh, characters die off out of ten? <laughs> how many Carpenter red shirts die? I got no notes. I didn't take a single note in this movie, other than to say I am bored. Okay. All right. That that that's too bad. Um, I, you know, I, I was watching it with an eye to relating it to, you know, current times. And so I was kind of filling in a few gaps and a few blanks in here with this merging of religion and science and experimentation and man's hubris and hiding something uh, that they, they probably should have been more aware of sooner to avert catastrophe. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of unearned things in this, like the lady at the end who just pushes 
the, the demonly possessed person um, through the mirror and she goes with it. There's no like lead up to why she would do that. You know, there's no, there's not a lot of setups and payoffs mm -hmm. in this movie. It's just like things kind of just happen. We've got some random people that we don't really know much about them. Some of them are turned bad, but you don't really know that. Or the audience knows that, but the character doesn't know that. So there's a little bit of like, oh, don't look behind the corner there or whatever. But beyond that, um, I think it's just a lot of uh, elements that just aren't quite executed quite right. There's that ambiance. There is the music and, and good things in it. But I, I feel like it just doesn't totally mesh together, which is uh, a bit too bad. I think this movie is the prime candidate for a remake by maybe some diehard Carpenter fan that wants this to be better. I'd, I'd be have, terrified. Some good ideas. I'd, I'd be terrified of a remake just because with today's Hollywood, it would end up being yet another piece of woke propaganda with wokeism shoehorned into every, you know, every other scene. Um, so that, that would be my main concern. If you could actually find a director who's competent at this type of movie, who's not willing to go along with that crap, then, then yes, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I heard that the Eternals, which is, I guess out now is just saddled with that stuff. Mm. And, and, and even reviewers are like, ah, and too much. Even the reviewers yeah. oh, it must be really bad at the reviewers wow. are turned off by it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And of course uh, I'm absolutely um, uh, terrified and depressed about the alleged upcoming Indiana Jones movie i i, <laughs> I, I have, throw I have no hope yeah i have no hope for that one yeah i yeah, can't see how you could yeah he uh he's what almost 80 and uh i guess he, he took a fall and threw his shoulder out or broke his shoulder so he had to go on hiatus for why like, is he doing months. action scenes at his age i don't understand he should be running for president yeah mm -hmm. i mean just getting out of bed is an action scene for him at that age yeah I, I don't see why, how they can't, why they need to involve Ford at all in that franchise. If you're going to continue the franchise, and I know they tried to give this Shia LaBeouf, but I'm sure there are plenty. I mean, didn't they want Chris Pratt to take it on or somebody? I'm sure there's any number of young leading male Hollywood guys that would love to be the next Indiana Jones. Like do the full on reboot kind of thing. Sure. Like they do every three years with Spider-Man and Batman. Why not? I mean, I know Harrison Ford is iconic in that role. But there are other good actors. It's not like uh, Indiana Jones is this sacred film series that can't be touched. I mean, if you're going to talk about remaking the movies, I'm like, well, they don't need to be remade. But you can continue on the series with different actors. Yes, hey, I you am know they, they they did that. Uh, what was it? Young Indiana Jones TV series or whatever, and that was actually pretty decent. But that was like 30 years ago. They made that. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, get remember. that guy to come back. He'd, he'd be the right age now. No, Daniel, no. You cast like a 25, 30-year-old guy to be Indiana Jones now. If you really want to do it. I'd rather than make a new IP, but Hollywood doesn't have yeah. new ideas. So they're just going to recycle the same stuff that's guaranteed to make money. You're not wrong. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. Though yeah. I, I think your hate for this movie might be a, a bit harsh. Good, good. It deserves it. Or right, doesn't well, deserve it. But either way, I don't like it. 
Okay, well, let's let's get your final summary review and uh, a number of redshirt, um, nameless, faceless scientists and or homeless people that die. No, that, that live, right? That live. Okay, that live. Because only there's only very few that deserve to live. So, okay. yeah, I, I, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a John Carpenter fan. It's true. I, we did They Live, which I think is a great movie. The Thing, of course, is fantastic. Um, I haven't seen Halloween in some time, but I don't dislike that series. Uh, it, once he got into the 90s, though, yeah, like Vampires and I think a few other films maybe that I saw of his, um, I thought he was losing what it was that made him interesting. Um, but in this thing, yeah, you got some decent ideas that... Uh, utterly fails in uh, execution uh maybe he thought that he could do uh robert rodriguez and make a really nice film for shoestring budget but i just don't see it uh, none of that money showed up on screen i don't know where it went up everybody's noses it's probably not even enough to get them that high for very long i don't know but it it looks terrible. It's acted terribly. The dialogue is atrocious. Um, if it, if John Carpenter's name wasn't attached to this thing, it would be a forgotten, even more forgotten than it is, forgotten movie that you would dig. There used to be, you go to a supermarket like about 10 years ago as DVDs were dying, and there would be this giant bin full of budget DVDs for like 99 cents or compilation discs and you like five movies you've never heard of for like two bucks or something like that and it would be down there in the bottom of that bin and or there'd just be like a pile of them because no one would would have bought it uh, this i i don't understand the love for the film I, i'm glad that cj likes it i'm glad that somebody out there likes it because you know everybody deserves to be liked in some way i suppose but i i wish this movie was better it's just poorly executed so um i don't think anybody should watch it i don't recommend anybody watch it. if you have fond memories or you're a carpenter completionist sure you subject yourself to this but i don't think more than there's like there's two surviving red shirts one person that's like bleeding but they're gonna be okay and then the other red shirt has got like an arm ripped off and they're just dragging one leg as they're limping along out of the building, and you know they're not going to make it. So just it's more a, like one and a half. Just a flesh wound. I mean, if she's the Black Knight, then she's going to live just fine, and it's two. But uh, otherwise, no. Okay. One and uh, a half. Yeah, one harsh. Half. Harsh. But it's, that's uh, how much enjoyment I got out of this. Okay, that that might be your second lowest score. I think you gave a zero to something that we watched a couple. Uh, couple this of movie ago. doesn't deserve a zero. On premise alone, you get a point, maybe two points, but everything else maybe maybe it had two points, maybe it had three points, but then the execution killed the other point and a half. Yeah, that's what did it. It wasn't the slime; it was the execution that killed the people. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, CJ. Let's uh, let's get your final summary and your score. How many uh, surviving red shirts make it through this one alive? Okay, yeah, I will admit this is you know objectively not a great movie, and um, you know Carpenter has a lot of cult classics. Uh, I think Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, They Live. I think all these could reasonably be called cult classics, 
And then Prince of Darkness is like, to me is, I don't know, a double cult. It's like a cult squared sort of a thing. Um, if you like Prince of Darkness, you are the group within the group in terms of Carpenter fans, I think. So it's, it's where you separate the casual Carpenter fans from the real Carpenter fans. And I'll admit, you know, if I was to judge this thing purely objectively, I'd give it a C. I'd give it a seven out of 10. But subjectively, from my own, you know, preferences and aesthetics and all that, just looking at it as a piece of aesthetics, um, I, I got to give it a, at least an eight out of 10. Wow. Eight out of 10, I would say. And again, that's with, with my tastes and also judging it for what it is, which again is a pretty low budget eighties horror movie. And there's like zillions of those out there. And it's better than 95% of those, I would say, of, okay. of low-budget 80s horror movies. It's better than most of them. Um, and again, th there's enough redeeming qualities there that I still enjoy watching it. I usually watch it once a year around Halloween time. And um, one of my favorite Carpenter soundtracks, even though it's not nearly as you know known and remembered as Halloween or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a fan. Okay, I, so I, I, I admit the dialogue and most of the actors need to be replaced. I, I totally agree with that. Okay, but but relative to the other uh, films in its cohort, you're yeah. giving it a, a, a higher relative score. It, so you're, the professor's grading on a curve tonight, folks. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And and I'll, I'll say one more thing too, which is I love Halloween, and Halloween deserves to be you know considered a classic and all that. But if you actually go watch Halloween with a purely cold, objective eye, there's a lot of problems with it. There's a lot of problems with it. But one thing I think it nails that. Uh, Prince of Darkness also nails is mood, tone, minimalism, and sort of the combination of slowly building tension with, um, I don't know, just these these very simple little scenes that, at least for me, create a whole lot of uh, tension and suspense. Okay. All right. So we have the matter and the antimatter, the two opposing forces, the yeah, high end I and the low end. I would say that if I gave a shit about any of the characters, whether they lived or died, there might have been some tension for me, but I just didn't know them enough to even care. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad somebody likes this movie. I am truly. So I'm going to be right in between you guys. Uh, I liked the movie. I liked the aesthetic. I liked the premise. The I liked seeing a lot of the same actors as from Big Trouble in Little China, uh, even Dennis Dunn. And I thought that his um, his sort of subtle gay jokes were kind of fun like when he was saying that he was in the closet and there's a couple of other things that he said that i think might in, in present day be quote unquote problematic uh but the execution just isn't quite there the character development just isn't quite there uh so i'm gonna go like with a six on this i i, I enjoyed watching it and liking it likening it to present day things but uh overall it's not like that great of a film i am actually looking forward to seeing in the mouth of madness though just because it it not not a direct you know trilogy but it, since it's in the same or similar vein and that it has uh made a, a more indelible mark in culture i want to check that one out as well and perhaps next year we should do halloween robert we have not yet done that movie it's true we have not done the classic we haven't done any classic like slasher films have we no i guess we're just saving all those for uh snobby bobby he, he does those types of films for his podcast, the Not For Everyone podcast. And by the way, he is a huge fan of In the Mouth of Madness. Mm. 
Well, I, I grew up being a big fan of Freddy Krueger. I wasn't a big Jason fan because he didn't he didn't have any personality, but I liked I like Kruger a whole lot. So maybe oh, yeah. we could do some some front nightmare on Elm Street or something like that, maybe. Yeah, Kruger was personality plus. And uh, I think what was it? Uh, th- three was Dream Warriors. That he had all those inventive ways of offing them. Yeah, yeah. I I thought Dream Warriors was great back in the day. I don't know if it's any good anymore, but back in the day that was that was one of my favorite uh favorite films. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe uh maybe next year we'll we'll do a uh Freddy and Halloween and uh, other such horror films and and we're going to actually even though this is coming out on Halloween or or shortly thereafter, we're going to extend it. We're going to bleed into November a little bit for next week as we bring on James Gentleman, James Gentleman, James Gentleman of the Blackford podcast to talk about Beetlejuice mm. with uh, starring Batman and Gina Davis. Yeah. The first time I was exposed to Michael Keaton and he exposed himself to me. It was great. Yeah. So it's going to be showtime next week when we do that one. That's right. And, uh, that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time, but uh, another director who has a lot of um, clever visuals with uh, Tim Burton. So I think that uh, yeah. that would be another fun one and a bit nostalgic uh, as I had not seen Prince of Darkness before, you know, this week, but I've seen Beetlejuice uh, back when I was a kid and, and a few times since. And I think that'll be a really good discussion. Yeah. And Winona Ryder pre uh, shoplifting days. Oh, yeah. 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 Kleptomania. Yeah. That's right. good. Yeah. Get tripping well, to the afterlife. All kinds of fun stuff in that movie. Yeah. Every single Deo. It's good. All right. You, you give me a good the banana song. For that for next like, week. Isn't it, it's the banana boat song, right? Yeah, yeah, Deo, Deo. And then uh, uh, One Day Only at the Bon Marche. Remember the uh, the ads, the local ads for that? Yes, indeed. One Day Only the Bon Marche. It's yeah, true. One Day Only sale. Prof. CJ, this is going to be lost on you, but it, they got bought up by Macy's. They were a local chain in Seattle, like department store. And they okay. had that same song, Deo. One Day, one day Sale. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, almost as good as the Cal Worthington uh, uh, car ads. Those were fun, too. I don't know if you remember those, but uh, you have to refresh my memory on that. Oh, I'll, I'll try to find an old YouTube video. I'll send it to you. Okay. But uh, Prof. CJ, thanks again for uh, for coming on. I hope you can stick around for a little bit longer for some of the bonus content. I know it's getting late for you and you're an old man, but uh, just remind people where they can find your work and uh, we will get out, get out of here soon. Sure thing. It's the Dangerous History Podcast. You can find it at DangerousHistoryPodcast.com or just go to whatever favorite podcatcher you like to use for podcasts and put in dangerous history podcast and you will find it all right and it is really good i highly recommend it and uh also get in on his patreon he does a lot of uh, bonus content as well which is always really good as on top of the stuff that he hands out for free yeah i recently did a bonus episode on a document from the chinese cultural revolution called 100 items for destroying the old and establishing the new and i i shared some excerpts from that and dissected it and also uh, compared aspects of it to modern day wokeism, which has a pretty strong Maoist uh, streak running through it. Yeah. And I heard that uh, yeah. Facebook might be changing its name to um, metaverse. So that document you were just referencing might be uh, serving as um, their mission statement. Most likely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, everyone. And we'll be back next week with the great James gentleman of Blackbird podcast uh, for Beetlejuice. And with that, we'll say happy Halloween, everyone. Peace out and see you next week.